0: Uh, godliness in Titus over the past couple of weeks. Uh, First, we looked at how to be godly in a godless culture. Uh, Next, we saw that God's leaders must possess a godly character, preserve the truth, and promote the faith. And last week, we explored how to practice, model, and prioritize godliness in our homes and at work. And today, uh, we will learn how to do good in our communities, how to be godly in our communities. So let's listen to God's word in Titus chapter three. Titus chapter three, beginning at verse one. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying, is, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, What exactly uh, does it mean to be ethical these days? I mean, do I really have to recycle? Do I have to drink fair trade coffee? Uh, Do I have to use carbon neutral energy and only eat plants? Uh, Do I have to use cruelty free shampoo or eat a Big Mac on McHappy Day? Uh, What what does it mean to be ethical these days? You see, Aussies, like the rest of the world, we want to be ethical, don't we? However, much of what we do tends to be primarily concerned about our immediate physical and social needs. We're much more concerned about where the Earth will be in 100 years than where we will be. You see, we've been focused on the environment, on human rights, on animal rights, while ignoring the most pressing issue that confronting humanity, life after death. You see, unfortunately, most Aussies uh, regard Christianity as part of the problem rather than part of the solution. We have a sort of "been there, done that" kind of attitude towards Christianity. Others, of course, have been burned by the church and also abandoned Christianity. And others see Christianity as a threat to their freedom of expression. Uh, Stephen McAlpine wrote a book called We're the Bad Guys Now. And he's right, we are the bad guys. Once upon a time, we were the good guys who helped people and pushed society forward. But now, if we follow what the Bible says, our people think that we're oppressive, that we're holding them back. So what are we to do? How can we live in our communities when we've been labelled the bad guys? Well, God's word in Titus chapter 3 shows us how to live in an anti-God culture. How to still do good even though we're on the outs. So the big question today is how can we do good in our communities? We can do good by being ready, by being grateful and being fruitful. So point one, be ready. In order to do good in our communities, we need to be ready. And by being prepared, we can really help our communities. And one of the ways we do this is seen in verse one. It says this, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. You see, we're told to submit to rulers and authorities. As I say this, I'm getting into hot water again. You see, this is difficult, particularly because some of our rulers are ungodly and sinful, if not all. Uh, See, it's difficult to respect them, let alone obey them. And this wasn't much different for Titus on Crete either. You remember chapter 1? One of the own Cretans said, Cretans are always... Liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. They're not submission material. And yet, Paul reminds Titus and God's people that we need to submit to our rulers and authorities. It was countercultural back then, and it's countercultural now. You see, my problem with, with this, personally, is that I occasionally disagree with the authorities, and I think that some of the rules that they enforce aren't right. And this, this makes submission. And obedience really difficult for me. And I wonder if you're anything like me. Well, for those of us who think like such, uh, we need to remember God's word. We need to remember that God knows that no human ruler is perfect or sinless, other than God himself, of course. And so when God requires us to obey and submit to our rulers, uh, we can't just uh, write it off and say, Oh, they're ungodly and sinful, therefore I don't need to listen to them. That doesn't cut the mustard. We're instructed to submit and have a posture of submitting to our leaders. Imagine if it was the opposite. Imagine if God said, don't worry about your leaders and authorities. You can do whatever you like. Imagine what our communities would look like if everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. You know, we actually don't need to imagine that much because in judges we see a pretty good picture of what it looks like. If you're interested, read chapters 18 to 21 to see how bad things went when people didn't follow leadership, when they had no leadership. And so we're, we're commanded here to submit and obey our rulers even though they're flawed, even though they're sinful. Our posture needs to be one of obedience rather than resistance, of submission rather than rebellion. But it must be said here that this will undoubtedly be tough, especially when our governments enact unbiblical laws. Well, what are we to do then? Well, in Romans 3, it says that we're to submit, but it also says in the Gospels that we're to obey God rather than man when there's a contradiction there. Our default position, position, though, needs to be one of obedience. Uh, much more can be said on this tricky subject, so I'd like to defer once more to, to Jared, your pastor. So please, follow-up questions, go to Jared. Great. Uh, we can also be ready to do good by speaking well of others. We're instructed there in verse 2 to stop arguing and not to speak evil of anyone. Uh, this is a trap I actually fall into a lot You see, I constantly need to remind myself to stop criticising and judging people, but I instead need to speak the truth in love and encourage them. I wonder if you're like me. And again, this will be very, very difficult, particularly with the prominence of gender dysphoria in our society. We're to speak evil of no one, it says, because everyone is created with dignity and worth because they're image bearers of God. But also we need to we, we need to have wisdom in the way that we speak respectfully to those who we disagree with. But we also need to be faithful to God's word. You see, and therein lies the balance, the tension. We must speak respectfully of all people but also remain faithful to God's word. We need much prayer and wisdom on this. So let me ask you, how are you going with your words? How do you use your words? Do you use them to build up others or to speak evil? You see, God knows this doesn't come naturally to us, right? Uh, But that's why we need reminding. See, it says, remind them to speak evil of no one and avoid quarrelling. And another thing we can do to be ready to do good is to be gentle. That's also in verse 2. It says, be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. You see, perfect courtesy there, that word is meekness. Meekness like Jesus. Where to be meek like Jesus. He was powerful and yet he exercised restraint and self-control. And so where to imitate him? Imagine if you weren't meek and gentle. Imagine if you were angry, violent and aggressive all the time. Uh, You will surely be hurting those around you. However, if we're gentle and meek like Jesus, then we will benefit those around us by having a peaceful and diffusing influence. And so we should always consider how Jesus modelled this perfectly for us. How we're to be gentle and meek like him. And so We're to be ready to do good by being submissive to our leaders and authorities, by speaking well of others, and by being gentle. This is how we do good in our communities, even when it's uncomfortable and unpopular. Our parents know what it means to always be ready, don't we? We always know that we need extra wipes, extra food, nappies, you name it, we need to have it on hand because we don't know what's going to happen. Well, it's the same for all believers. We're to be ready because we don't know what God will bring our way, what opportunities will cross our path. So we're to be ready to do good. Are you ready? Are you ready today to do good? I understand that it'll be difficult, uh, particularly when culture appears to be getting more and more hostile towards our efforts to do good. And add to that our own responsibilities, our own business, our own pressures and struggles, and it becomes even more difficult. And that's why we need to keep remembering the end of chapter 2 where it says that God graciously saved us so that we can be zealous for good works, so that we can do good works. And so we've just seen how we're to be ready to do good works in our communities and we're about to see how being grateful... Also helps us to do good. So, point two, we need to be grateful. Uh, being grateful uh, for God to God for saving us helps us learn how we can do good to others. Our uh, treasuring what God has done for us uh, keeps us from pride and self-righteousness as we serve. You know, in each chapter of Titus, there's one crucial long sentence. In chapter 1, it's the first four verses. It sets up the whole chapter. In chapter 2, it's verses 11 to 14. We looked at that last week. And in chapter 3, it's verses 4 to 7. In this short section, we have the glorious gospel, the whole reason why Jesus came to save us. And so we need to be grateful by focusing on, firstly, God's love. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says... But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. You see, God saved us when our Lord and Saviour Jesus came. We could not save ourselves. This is one of the big lies that Australia seems to believe, that we're good people and God is happy with us. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, I leave this Sunday, so it's it's just okay. But we're not good. You're not good. Do I need to repeat it? You're not good. I'm not good. No one is. That's why we need saving. And what do we need to be saved from? Well, just look at verse 3. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Now, there you have it. That's a picture of us all. That's a picture of us all before, apart from the goodness and loving kindness of God. Oh, you don't believe me, it seems? Okay, well, have you ever done something silly before? No, me neither, me neither. Have you ever been disobedient? Uh, yeah, we've got one, or uh, me, once or twice, once or twice. Have you ever been led astray by friends or TV or your own desires? I think you get the picture. You see, given the opportunity, uh, if God would remove the restraints, we would all be waist deep in verse 3, unable to save ourselves. That's what we need to be saved from. And therefore, we should be grateful for God, to God for sending Jesus because we can't save ourselves. That's why Jesus came to live the perfect life in our place. You remember in the garden where Jesus pleaded that the cup would pass from him, that he shouldn't go to the cross? If there was another way, he would have been spared. Jesus could have saved the trip from heaven. But there is no other way. And God didn't spare him. And that's why we need to be grateful. And this shows us and gives us a perspective how to be good, how to do good, in our societies. We need to be selfless, like Jesus. So let me ask you a personal question. If you died tonight, God forbid, and went to heaven, what would you say to God to let you into his home? Would you say that you've done enough, you've given enough, you've served enough? Or would you say I'm simply clinging to what Jesus has done? Please let me in. You see, we're also to be grateful for God's mercy too. And we see this in verse 5. It says, He saved us, not because, of the, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, according to God's mercy, we have been washed from all our sin, Uh, This is the picture of the bathroom, where we're scrubbed clean from all the dirt and muck. As a result of God's mercy, we're actually given new hearts as well. We're made new. This is the picture of the operating room, where God removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. A heart that's responsive to God and his ways. You see, God is fulfilling Ezekiel 36, our first Bible reading. He makes us new. He makes us clean. He gives us a new heart and he gives us his spirit, the Holy Spirit. Can you see the Trinity working to save you in these verses? We see God sending Jesus to save us, to be our saviour, to do the work that we couldn't do. And we see the Holy Spirit washing us, cleaning us from all our sin, making us new. This is what we should be grateful for, folks. And this is what should motivate us to do good in our communities. Let me ask you another personal question. Uh, Have you experienced what it's like to have your sins washed away? Uh, Do you know the joy of having a new heart, desiring to live God's way, following his word? You see, those who are grateful for what God has done for them will find it easy to do good in our communities because it's not about us. It's about God. And this enables us to do good works with zeal, even with hostility and resistance in front of us. And we can also be grateful for God's grace. That's there in verse 7. Grateful for God's grace. Uh, By his grace, we have been justified and actually made heirs of eternal life. And see, this is the picture of the courtroom where the judge declares us innocent of all charges. We're free to go. Our debt has been paid. But it gets even better. You see, God actually makes us heirs of eternal life. So it's like we've got the keys to God's home forever. This is the trustworthy message of the gospel that we must insist on, that I must insist on. This is why, and we see the reason why in verse 8. So that those who believe in God may be devoted to good works. This is how we live completely different from verse 3. This is how we do good in our communities. It's all by God's work. He's the one that takes us out of living like the world. He brings us into the bathroom, he cleans us. He brings us into the operating room and gives us a new heart. He brings us into the courtroom and makes us right before him and then he takes us home. Can you see how God does all the work? It's not us. We contribute nothing but our sin And this is what we need to be grateful for each day. It prevents us from being smug and self-righteous, and it keeps us humble that as we do good work in our communities, it's not actually about us. It's actually about God working through us. So are you grateful? Are you grateful for what God has done for you? And maybe you're sitting there and you don't quite feel grateful. Maybe you don't know what it's like to have your sins washed away. Well, today's the day. Today is the day you have the opportunity to believe in God, to trust in Jesus' work on the cross and have all these benefits and enjoy them. We can, you can have peace with God that comes with knowing that your sins are washed clean. You can know the joy of being free from your sin. You can experience God's grace, love and mercy uh, knowing that you have eternal life. Don't waste another day Living like verse 3, when you have freedom and life and joy, now and forever. Okay, so we've seen that we're to do good in our communities by being ready and being grateful, but we can also do good by being fruitful. This leads us to point 3, be fruitful. Uh, When we do good in our communities, uh, sorry, we can do good in our communities by being fruitful, not wasting time on unworthy, unprofitable things. Uh, What are some of your biggest time wasters? Another personal question. I'm on a a roll here. Uh, In my life, I tend to find myself scrolling on YouTube. I'm I'm researching, you see, I'm researching on YouTube. I'm sure you have your own guilty pleasures. Uh, But what about us as a church? hmm? What do we get distracted with? What keeps us from being fruitful? Well, we have a short list there in verse 9. It says, But avoid foolish controversies, g- genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. It's harsh language. This is, these are the things we're to avoid in order to be fruitful. You see, we, like the people on Crete, can get distracted all the time. So rather than being fruitful in the community, we can be fighting and arguing with each other. Worse still, it can actually lead to division in the church and we see that in verses 10 and 11. It says this, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So to be fruitful, we need to cut off some people after warning them sufficiently. Does this seem harsh? seems harsh to me. Two warnings and then you're out? I'm sure you've got your own stories where you've seen it go badly in church, where people have been divided and it's caused harm to many. I've, I've got my own stories too. It's, it's really unfruitful and it's unbiblical. A church divided that's continually fighting and arguing with each other will undoubtedly be less fruitful in the community, right? And that's why God speaks to this issue in verse 11. He actually provides us with the reason why we should have nothing to do with them after they've been warned, because they're warped. Literally, they're they're back to front, they're inside out. They're sinful, as in they're doing what God thinks is wrong, and they're self-condemned, having heard the gospel of grace and rejecting it. You see, they're not willing to listen to God and his word and so we're told to have nothing to do with them when they've been sufficiently warned. This is the same pattern in Matthew 28 where we're to warn one another uh, uh, when we go astray and we're to bring in more people, the right people, each time when people don't repent. You see, the goal is to have them repent and come back in, not to be out. For decades and centuries, the church has done this by excluding people so they see the gravity of what they're doing. They're harming God's people. They're getting in the way of being fruitful. We see a pattern of this also in 1 Corinthians 5. Remember in the beginning, you know, God creating the heavens and the earth, he creates order out of chaos. And so God's people are to do the same. We're to bring order and unity not division and chaos in our communities. So when we're warned, we need to take heed and we need to turn quickly to our gracious God in repentance. This, of course, doesn't save us, but it it indicates that you are believing and trusting in Jesus and that you want to be fruitful in the community. And also, another thing we can do to be fruitful is by helping those in need especially gospel missionaries. We see that in verses 12 to 15. 12 to 15, there you go. You have a beautiful picture of gospel ministry at work where believers go out of their way to support one another. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here because you, this church, actually does this quite well. You support gospel missionaries around the world. It's fantastic. And so God's people are called here to do good So be fruitful by helping those in need. The word learn in verse 14 actually is derived from the word disciple. So we're to learn to do good, to be devoted to good works by being a disciple. A disciple like Jesus. A disciple of Jesus rather, who modelled this perfectly. And remember Jesus' words. You will know my disciples by their fruit. So we're to be fruitful as we seek to do good in our communities. So how are you going at being fruitful? It's a tough question. Are there things in your life that you need to avoid to cut off in order to be more fruitful in your community? Of course, it must be said that God isn't interested in just our fruit. You know, the church isn't our business where we're just about productivity and efficiency. No... It's about being fruitful. It's about uh, trusting that God has dealt with our sin so that we can be devoted to good works. We're called to be spiritually productive rather than spiritually complacent. We're called to be useful and profitable for our communities and support those in need. Uh, I spoke about Ed Welsh last week. I seem like a fanboy now because I'm about to recommend a book. Uh, There's a really good book by Ed Welsh called Caring for One Another. This actually gets to the heart of this chapter. It shows us how we can use our gifts to practically serve one another and be fruitful, to build unity in our communities. And so we need to be asking ourselves these two questions. These two questions. Is what I'm doing helping people to grow in godliness and building the community? Or is this actually causing unnecessary arguments and causing division? So being ethical, being responsible in our community is not about fair trade coffee. It's not about eating Big Macs, although I wish it was. No, it's about primarily protecting and preserving uh, God's community. Where to build up the community by being ready, by being grateful and by being fruitful. You know, people need to know that they will outlive the earth. Whether they like it or not, they will outlive the earth. They'll either be gratefully uh, being with God in eternal life, or they'll remain self-condemned forever. You see, apart from God's grace, we will all we all live like verse 3. But because of the goodness and loving kindness of God, uh, we can be made new, we can be washed, we can be clean, justified and heirs of eternal life. And this enables us to do good in our communities. Consider what our community would look like if we all practiced this, if we all sought to be ready at whatever opportunity we have to do good. What our communities would look like if we were more grateful for what God has done rather than focusing on our own works. Now let's pray that God would help us do this, to do good in our communities as taught in Titus. Let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we await our eternal inheritance, please help us to be ready to do good in our communities. Please help us to build your kingdom here on earth. And we ask that you would help us remain grateful always looking to your love, grace, and mercy you have shown us in Christ and the Spirit. Please assist us in remaining fruitful uh, where you have placed us, avoiding fruitless matters and supporting those in need. May our communities be blessed by your people so that your name may be known and loved throughout the world. For we ask it in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.